Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Shell. And I'm Lisa. And we're back for another week of true crime from the true north. So, Lise, did you hear about this murder house that's for sale in East Vancouver right now? I did. So many people sent me that link. I know, for $1.4 million. Yeah. I really want to look into it because I haven't really done any snooping around and digging, but it looks so creepy. Yeah, it's like this run-down old heritage building and a young woman was stabbed inside and then they set the basement on fire with her still inside. Oh my god. And it's just a vacant house, right? Like nobody actually lives in it? It's just vacant. Neighbors were saying it was like kind of a house that sex workers would be at and all these like, you know, creepy characters would hang out there and now it's being sold. It hasn't been sold yet though, right? Still on the market? I don't think so. I think it's still on the market. Oh God. But would you would you live in a house where someone was murdered? That's the question. No. 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 There's way too I feel too, like it's bad way vibes. Way too much bad vibes in the air, man. You, you couldn't even smudge that shit out. No, it reminds me of American Horror Story season yeah. one. Where they get trapped in the house. Oh, that that was my favorite season by far, I think. Mine too. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The story I have for you today is a little bit different than the cases we normally tell. It's set in the 1930s, a very different time in Canada, when it was possible for one couple to lie, cheat, and abuse the medical system and human beings in order to make tons of money. It seemed like Lila and William Young were a match made in heaven. Everything aligned for them, their religion, their medical backgrounds, and their love for their community. But the desire to help others soon turned into a desire to make money. Lots of money. At the expense of not only young mothers, but their innocent children. What started as a safe space for women to turn to quickly became an institution of horrors. And this killer couple would notoriously put hundreds of bodies in the ground, and it made them rich. This is the case of the Butterbox Babies. Take it away, girl. In 1925, Lila Gladys Kulin was a young teacher in Fox Point, Nova Scotia. She came from a very religious family and upbringing. Her parents were devout members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is a Christian denomination. But unlike others, Seventh-day Adventists attend church on Saturdays, which they believe to be the Sabbath. When Lila was 26 years old, she met William Young, who was a year older than her. William was from New Brunswick, and he was a religious man as well. When the couple met, William was an unordained minister and missionary, spreading the gospel of Seventh-day Adventists. They were married in 1926, and the couple decided to go the medical route with their careers. They moved to Chicago, and William graduated from the National College of Chiropractics, and Lila became a midwife. So this is like the 1920s? Yeah, this is the 1920s. Oh, we're going back. Way, way back. This is deep into history, this case. Yeah. So in February of 1928, 
Lila and William moved back to Nova Scotia with their newfound dream of caring for the sick. They opened the Life and Health Sanitarium out of their four-bedroom cottage in East Chester, but times were tough. They were scraping by, just trying to make ends meet and put food on the table. And then, like with most businesses, Lila and William found their niche. It would skyrocket their small sanitarium into success. But it would also come at a steep, terrifying cost. Lila started delivering babies as a midwife, and the couple quickly realized how in-demand this skill was. In Canada, in the late 20s and early 30s, abortion and birth control were totally illegal. If you were pregnant and unmarried, your options were incredibly limited. You were either disowned by your family or ostracized from your community, mm-hmm. and you received zero help from the government. It was so depressing when you think about it. Yes, so depressing. If you were a single, if you were like an unwed mother at the time, you were completely disowned. Completely. It was like you're out. Yeah, like your parents would put you in this house to like outlive the rest of your pregnancy and you would go and have the baby at this like house and they just like would have no part of it. Exactly. That happened to my great aunt. What? Yeah, and we just found out. This was actually a really crazy story that happened throughout COVID. Um, She passed away a few years ago at like 92 years old. She never got married and she never had kids. And she was like our favorite great aunt. She was so like close with all my cousins. There's 15 of us. She was our Aunt Ruth. And then we found out. Auntie Ruth. Our Auntie Ruth. And then we found out last year that she had twins and no one knew about it. Did she put them up for adoption? She gave them up for adoption. And wow. the reason they found out was because like one of her sons has been looking for her. And so oh my gosh. Th- his son helped him find her and found her obituary and just got in contact with my mom's siblings. And it's crazy. That like, is we've met crazy. him now. Yeah. My mom's like, I had a cousin this whole time. Like we didn't know that these two twins existed. I love that. But I guess this would have been maybe more in the 50s that that was still frowned upon still it wasn't it wasn't really like when did birth control come into effect really like the 60s and onwards right yeah so for the 20s it would have been that much more intense so much more intense and honestly for any expectant mother who did not have a husband it was basically i'd say a nightmare for them yeah and because the wars were happening Mm -hmm. and you know people men were coming back from war and they were basically knocking up women and leaving again. Yeah. And they weren't marrying them. They were just, right. you know, having fun. Having a night of fun and off they went. Yeah. That's so risky back then when you think, but how the hell? How did more people not get pregnant? You just didn't have sex. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, unless you were married. Yeah. You can see why religion was so big back then too. I guess. Essentially... William and Lila, they knew that this was going on. They knew that there was a big pool of these expectant mothers who were unwed, who didn't have husbands, and they needed somewhere to go. Right. So they pivoted their business and they renamed it the Ideal Maternity Home, positioning the sanitarium as a safe, discreet space for women to give birth and then recuperate for a couple of weeks and then return home with their reputations unharmed. Right. Sounds lovely. Well, the couple placed ads everywhere to promote the ideal maternity home. 
they promised security, safety from gossip, and the utmost privacy for all girls and women who wanted to give birth in secret. And of course, it cost money for this type of secrecy. It was $75 per delivery for a married woman and $100 to $200 for unmarried women for Uh. delivery, room and board, and any adoption arrangements. Fuck you. Why does an unwed mother have to pay more? Yeah. (sighs) Oh, just the mentality, man. Not only that, but there is a $12 diaper fee Three hundred dollar housing fee for babies between their delivery time and their adoption time, Whoa. and if the baby died, there was a like non-negotiable twenty dollar funeral fee. Wow! Wait, was that for like married women as well? I believe so. The going rate—that's what you got to pay. Holy! And at the time, like three hundred dollars. Oh yeah, that's a lot. I did the math. So with inflation, to put this into context, that would cost around $8,000 per woman today. Wow. Yeah, it's like freezing your eggs. Exactly. Yeah, it's like 10 grand, right? Well, I guess it's a little bit more. Yeah, it's about 10 grand. But yeah, it's a big, that's a big chunk of money. It's a big chunk of money. Holy. And this is just the cost for women who wanted to deliver their babies and put them up for adoption. This was money for sure. But it wasn't where the real money was made in the ideal maternity home. The big bucks for the youngs came from adoption fees. So they essentially ran an underground adoption agency out of the home too, selling the babies that were delivered from unwed mothers to couples that desperately wanted children. I mean, sure, it's illegal back then, but that's just what adoption is now. Totally. Do you pay? So you do. You do pay for adoption. Yeah. I believe so. I think it is it is expensive to adopt still today. But in back in that day, can you guess how much they sold each baby for? A thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars. <gasps> oh yeah. my god. So that's like ten times that now. Yeah. And then in the nineteen forties, they actually raised the price to ten thousand dollars per baby. Whoa. So that is around $130,000 today. Okay. What's stopping somebody from purposely getting pregnant and doing that as their way of income? So the mothers received zero of that income. Oh, It all went to Lila and William. Wow, that's ruthless. Yeah. So they were basically the brokers and then they took the money. So they took money from both sides. They took money from the women who were pregnant and from (gasps) the couples who wanted to adopt. Wow. Yeah. Okay, never mind then. So those mothers saw none of that money and essentially like this was for them to just get rid of the baby. Right. Right. Make sure it goes to a good home and then go back to their lives. Right. So it has been said that within a decade... William and Lila made $3.5 million from selling babies. That is about $50 million today. Oh my god. Yeah. Holy shit. And that's cash. That's cash, yeah. Are there banks in the 20s? I think so. That might be a dumb question to ask, but like, we're so used to virtual money now. No, this is cash. Like there's, I don't believe that there's any virtual money back then, right? Yeah, no crypto back then. Lila and William soon outgrew the original location of the ideal maternity home. And they upgraded to a space that was essentially an institution. 
It had 54 rooms, 14 bathrooms, and plenty of nurseries. So at this point, Lise, how does this whole operation sound to you? I mean, it doesn't sound that bad. Like, the women are paying the fee, they're getting treated well, their babies are being taken care of and put into a nice home. Like, it's all, it all seems like it's with good intentions so far. Exactly. Like, I was thinking, you know, expectant mothers, they have a place to go when everyone else has basically shut them out. Abandoned them, yeah. Yeah. And couples who can't have children, they have a place to go and adopt someone. Yeah and give these babies a happy, safe home. And yes, I think the Youngs are probably exploiting this entire system for their own financial gain, but if everyone is happy in the right. end, what's the real crime here? Right, what's, what's the harm in that, really? Well, the story only gets worse from here. So buckle up. Oh, God. Lila and William, with this whole mission of caring for the sick and supporting their community, gets sucked up by their greed. And they turn from missionaries into murderers. So remember, Lila was a midwife, and William was a chiropractic doctor. But neither of them were actual doctors certified to deliver babies or provide medical care if either the baby or mom needed serious help. Okay, so she's a midwife, but she could just basically do basic deliveries that were straightforward, no complications. Right, like she's not a surgeon. She's not, you know, if a mom needed serious help and was bleeding out, they really couldn't do anything for them. Okay. But not only that, they were marketing themselves as doctors. Okay. They weren't being truthful about their actual skill set. Right. So if a baby was too sick had a disability, or wasn't white enough to be put up for adoption, they were discarded and given (gasps) only molasses and water to live off of. These babies were murdered by Lila and William by having them starve to death. Oh my god. They would literally put them in a room, (sighs) tell the moms that the babies went off to safe homes, and they would die. Okay, so first of all, you're saying like if they were sick, but then you mentioned if their skin wasn't white enough. So they were perfectly healthy babies. Nothing is wrong with them. It's just the pigment of their skin is too dark. Oh my God. So primarily the couples adopting babies that would pay this price wanted fair skinned and light eyes and light hair babies. Well, what if it was a fair skin with dark hair it was their discretion it was totally subjective to lila she made these decisions when the baby was born she would basically look at that baby and say it's desirable or it's undesirable oh okay ruthless why would she do that though because if someone's willing to pay for that baby like why would you take that choice away from them what if somebody was like yeah like sure it doesn't meet all the criteria but i'm happy to take that baby I think for them, it was a numbers game. They had a reputation and they had parents who wanted babies coming to them, wanting this specific type of baby. Wow. And they knew that they didn't have the time or the want to shelter any babies that wouldn't basically sell right away. Like this is essentially human trafficking. Oh yeah. Holy shit. 
And if any of the mothers of these babies inquired about, you know, how is my child doing, asked and followed up with the young family, Lila and William would lie through their teeth and just tell them they were adopted to a loving home Mm -hmm. and kind of make it all go away, essentially. And not only that, but William and Lila started cutting costs to make themselves more money. So the conditions at the ideal maternity home were horrible and unsanitary, becoming a health hazard and spreading disease to any mother or child who is staying there for any length of time. Oh my god. So essentially, like, these mothers come here for room and board, deliver their baby, recuperate for a couple of weeks, and then they're getting infections, they're getting Mm -hmm. sick. You know, their babies are basically taken from them right after delivery. So they're just Mm -hmm. alone and Mm -hmm. trying to heal. And in like the most like disgusting place. Disgusting, disgusting place. It's awful. Run by millionaires. Yeah. And years later, a handyman named Glenn Shatford admitted to burying over 100 babies in a field. That was the property of Lila's parents. The infant bodies were placed in a butter box before being buried, and they became known as the Butterbox Babies. Oh my god. Oh, that's so sad. And like, can they not have done it in any more of a humane way than starving them? It was not humane. Starving is not a good death. No. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's slow. It's painful. Oh my god. Like if you're going to do that, why would you choose that? That's just so ruthless. They didn't have any medications. But they didn't even have any medical training, so they couldn't like give drugs or I don't even know what was really around in that time either. Who knows? I don't know what a butterbox is. It's basically like a milk crate. Oh, with a lid. Okay. Oh, poor babies. 100 that he's That's claimed disgusting. to bury. Disgusting. I know. And like what's going through his mind when he's doing this? Well, what's going through everyone's mind? I mean, I'm wondering how do people not know about this? How did right. no one do anything about this many deaths? And in Nova Scotia, Lila and William had a running tab on everyone who had come to them for help. So whether it was an illegal adoption, an illegal abortion, or a delivery, they basically had the town under their thumb with blackmail. People in like high positions that had come to them for this illegal adoption. They had the upper hand. Totally. So in comes one man who decided to try and do something about the ideal maternity home. Dr. Frank Roy Davis was a public health official in Nova Scotia, and he got the RCMP involved. So it was uncovered that a young woman, Eva Nyforth, and her newborn had both died due to the unsanitary conditions at the ideal maternity home. And both Lila and William were actually charged with two counts of manslaughter in March of 1936. Whoa. Can you guess what happened? They paid their way out. They paid off the cops. They were both acquitted by a jury. What the fuck? By a jury. Acquitted. So the theory is that the jury dismissed the case because they were at risk of being exposed of having dealings with Lila and William. Oh my god. More blackmail. Yeah, more blackmail. What reason would you have like to not even go through with the 
with the trial and to say not guilty like acquitting them is completely just wiping the slate like this never happened and completely like there was nothing wrong oh 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 yeah it was not their fault yeah pick a different jury that's bullshit they would have had to have had a prop a good reason they can't just say he's acquitted without giving a reason honestly i think that the reason was that they didn't see any cause for them basically doing the crime oh my god it's awful and the ideal maternity home continued to operate so fees went up and the conditions of the home went down and their reported mortality rate was 8.1 percent almost three times higher than the nova scotia average at that time wow so you were better off just delivering at home honestly like you probably would have been yeah and still no action to shut them down and this is just their reported death rate and with the unreported deaths like the butterbox babies those were never reported so this number could be so much higher oh it for sure is higher and for sure is like we don't know exactly how many babies were sacrificed with this couple that makes me so fucking mad i know they just get away with it well in 1945 almost a decade later after this manslaughter charge lila and william were ordered to shut down the ideal maternity home by the maternity boarding house act which rejected their license but as you might guess that didn't stop lila and william they kept operating. Obviously. So in 1946, Lila and William were both convicted of illegally selling infants across the border in the States. So they started moving their operation just from Canada into yeah. the States and asking mothers to travel into another country so that they could kind come of get work the that system. Yeah, and come get the babies. Right, people were crossing the border. Exactly. Oh my God. But even though they were convicted, they served no jail time. They only had to pay $428 as a fine when they made $3 million. Yeah. Such a slap in the face. Come on. And they weren't even getting charged with the murders. No. They were just getting charged with illegal adoption. Exactly. So in terms of our justice system in Canada, they never brought Lila and William down. Instead, their demise was the ruining of their reputation. So the media actually exposed Lila and William for the truly awful people they were. No Mm -hmm. medical attention to babies in need, starving babies to death, discarding of babies that were deemed by them as undesirable to adoptive couples. Like, it's just a really horrifying part of our Canadian history. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. And I had no idea. I know. I never knew this. I mean, we're on the West Coast, but in the East Coast, in Nova Scotia, this is very well known. Yeah. Like, this is awful. And that's so shocking, though, that it just didn't make its way over here. I know. Like, how did we not know this? My god. So it is estimated that 600 children died due to Lila and William Young. Oh, that makes me sick. 600. But that real number may never be known. It could be higher. Did they ever go digging on the grounds? Yes. So today, 
the babies who survived the ideal maternity home are grown up and in their late 70s. And to this day, they're searching for answers. They're trying to locate their biological parents and see if they're still alive or if they have any siblings, which is very similar to your aunt's story. Yeah. And on the other hand, there are also mothers who have heard of this whole thing happening years after they've delivered there and going to the place where the Butterbox babies are buried and uncovering bodies. But unfortunately, because they're so small, the bodies are so small because they're infant babies, yeah. And it's been so many years, there just isn't enough DNA that is able to be extracted to actually know who they belong to. That's so surprising. Yeah. Like you can get you can get DNA from a hair. Think of babies. Like it they're so small and it's been 50 years. I know. I just it just seems so hard to believe that they just can't get anything. That's just so disappointing. And they'll just never have answers. There's a lot of unknown answers for the people who have been affected by this ideal maternity home. All the mothers that came through. And, you know, unfortunately, some of them don't want to reconnect with their children who are searching for them. There's also Mm -hmm. that risk. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the children who were survivors, who were adopted out, then they find out that they're adopted. They find out that they were actually born in Eastchester, which then, once they find that out, they know that they're basically a part of the Butterbox babies, which is crazy. Oh my God. It was just up to this one woman who chose whether or not you made it through or not. Yes. And like, think about that feeling if you found out that you were one of those adopted babies and you, you weren't one of the ones to go in the butter box. You were one of the chosen ones to survive. Like, like you weren't one of the unfortunate ones is what I mean. Like, yes, totally. What a weird feeling that would be. Yes, it's, it's so fucked up. And to have one person decide your fate mm-hmm. is so wild. So what happened to them then? Everybody like ruined their reputation. They exposed them to the media. Did they, they shut down this place, I'm assuming, eventually. But what happened to them? So Lila and William both died of cancer in the <laughs> 60s. And because of the absolute horror of the ideal maternity home and the Butterbox babies, new laws were actually developed in Canada to protect adopted children. But... Nova Scotia has a closed adoption records policy. So for the survivors of the Butterbox babies of this ideal maternity home, it makes anything that they're doing, any kind of closure, really difficult. But there is a website called Survivors of the Ideal Maternity Home that aims to help those looking to connect with their birth parents or understand their heritage. So there are resources out there because there's a big enough pool of people who have been affected by this. Of course. So they sealed the documents after the fact? like. So I believe what it means is that you can't find out the name of your birth parents unless they want to get in contact with you. But what if that was something that those parents never ticked off in a in the paperwork when they were delivering? Oh, like so those- you, they'll, they'll actually be contacted. So 
the I believe the policy is that you can reach out, you can make contact okay. through through a government body. Okay. So it'll all be brokered through the government. Okay. But they will never tell you exactly who that name is of your birth parents. They won't tell you where they live. They won't tell you any information, but they will put you in contact. And then it's up to the birth parents to decide whether they want to say, yes, I would like to know the okay. name of my child and connect with them or no. And if they say no, then that's it. Like you right. don't get any information. Which is really sad, but I guess it it is a privacy issue as well. Like if you truly just, that was a part of your life that you're not wanting to go back to as a yeah. parent. Like if they really don't want to relive that, it was traumatizing for them. Like perhaps this was something that they associated like a really bad experience with. Oh, completely. I can understand why. Yeah, that makes sense that they would have to get consent from them, but it just, it sucks for the other end because it makes it so difficult. And it's difficult. I mean, everyone is is in their late 70s as children, in their yeah. 90s as parents. It's It's really tough. I mean, can you imagine being 90 years old and having your biological daughter or son reach out after so many years? It might be like confusing. They might not even want to bring that part of their life back up. I know. And at this point, if they're in their 90s, they might have dementia. They might not totally. even know what that even is or to recognize this. But the other side of the story is that there have been people who have been reunited. And think of your aunt, like... Your yeah. cousin and your mom, like, they got to reunite. Yeah, so, and now he's just part of the family now. Which is amazing. It's, it's crazy. So they were twins. So his brother passed away a few years ago. So they haven't, they never got to meet him. But their cousin, Larry. We've got a new cousin, Larry, in the family. It's so awesome. Those feel-good stories of adoption, I think, yeah. are really positive and But it is sad. Like, the parents who just don't want to reconnect with mm-hmm. these children who are part of this crazy story. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading an article from, I believe, Global, and it had interviews with a lot of survivors of this ideal maternity home. And they're just heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking stories when they find out that they've been a part of this mm-hmm. horrible part of our history. It's pretty traumatizing mm-hmm. to think that you were born in that house. You were born in the hands of a killer. Yeah, you basically survived death. You did. So with a couple crippled by greed, enough to kill innocent babies, and no charges at all from our justice system, and the final shutdown of the ideal maternity home 60 years ago, which actually burnt to the ground, by the way. When it was being remodeled, it just burnt. Hmm. Like, it's gone. Which I think is kind of closure in itself. For sure. Lila and William, though, essentially got away with murder. 600, 600 babies. And all that money. And all that money. And with that, we are no longer wondering whose crime is it anyway. So before we leave today, I just wanted to share that I was talking to a few fellow podcaster friends last week about monetizing and receiving support from listeners. And I quickly shot it down because I'm like, I mean, who's going to want to do that? We're not that cool. But (laughs) we're pretty cool. Okay. We provide really great content. We put a lot of research into what we do. It's true. I mean, and we love this. We love doing this. Yeah, we're just 
having a great time. But I just, I was just so quick to shoot it down. But I mean, they were really encouraging and they had a really good point and said, you just never know who wants to show their support. So why not just give them the option? So we took their advice and started a page on buymeacoffee.com. It's a really cute way to show your support by buying us a coffee. And the process is really easy and you don't even need to create an account. So it's there for you guys if you are ever so inclined at buymeacoffee.com forward slash whose crime pod. And we'll also link it in the show notes for you. But regardless, we appreciate you all for hanging out with us every Monday. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We will be back next week with a brand new case. Until then, follow us on Instagram at Whose Crime Podcast and on Twitter at Whose Crime Pod. Bye! Toodles!